you know, poll after poll tells us that our cost of living is the biggest concern. And we're getting more uh, issues around that, that people are borrowing. And I'll get to that uh, later on. But people are borrowing money literally to make ends meet. Uh, we've seen people making food substitution. And speaking of food, is that the one area that just it's impossible to make progress on? I mean, double digits last year in food increases. That's why I'm so pleased to have with me Sylvain Charlebois, acknowledged uh, expert with the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Thank goodness for them. They put out the data that everyone looks at. He's, of course, a professor in food distribution at Dalhousie. Sylvain, thanks for taking the time with us. Oh, my pleasure. And it's interesting. It comes at a time when I was just reading a report uh, you know, from the government, Financial Consumer Agency, talking about consumer vulnerability, evidence from the monthly COVID financial well-being survey. What they did was a little different. They didn't give us the yearly inflation numbers. They looked at inflation from the Jan 220 right through till Jan 223. And I think some of the numbers are startling. And that's why I always call this my shocking stat of the week. And that's 54% jump from for spaghetti, for example, 41% jump uh, for butter. I mean, the yeah. list just keeps going on. I mean, everybody's way up there, 20% more for coffee, 23% more for chicken thighs. And they had just this massive list that, I mean, certainly we thought average food inflation last year at 10% was bad enough, but the real issue for people is it's cumulative over the last couple of years. So uh, I, again, such a timely topic. I appreciate you finding time. Oh, no, my pleasure. I mean, we do get a lot of questions. A lot of people just are having a hard time understanding what is going on. So uh, with data, we try to clarify things, but it's been it's been challenging for sure. Yeah, surely it's got to be more sophisticated, though, than thinking there's only one variable involved, and that's called greedflation, you know, greed yes. on the part of grocery stores. I mean, I just find that way too, obviously, way too simplistic. So give us an idea of what factors are in play here. Well, I, uh, as you probably know, I, I testified before Parliament myself on December 5th, uh, and I was included in, in this food inflation investigation. And and we know that on March 8th, the CEOs will be uh, joining uh, the, the committee as well to do the same thing. And, and at the time, what I said to uh, parliamentarians is that Greed is a very difficult thing to measure. I mean, you have to agree on what greed looks like. And I've always said to people who believe that there is greed going on, where's the line? Is it is it five percent, six percent? Is it is it one dollar? I mean, are, mm -hmm. are are these companies allowed to make money? And if so, how much? How much is too much? And, and this is where conversations around inflation uh, get more interesting, or at least it clarifies things. And, and to be honest, I've never gotten a clear answer from anyone. I don't believe there's greedflation going on in retailing. There's no evidence of it. Margins, operating margins have remained the same over the last six, seven years. However, and this is a big however, uh, Operating margins in Canada are double of what they are in the U.S. So if you look at Loblaws, Empire, and Metro, and you compare that trio with, say, Kroger and Albertsons, uh, margins are double, which means one thing. The landscape in Canada is not all that competitive. And that's mm -hmm. really the big point here. Well, you know, I was looking at a survey that said that something like, even though there wasn't specific evidence that there's abuse by grocers, about 80% of Canadians thought there was abuse. And I'm wondering, it goes back to, yes. I think it was 2017, 2017, and we did have a bread price fixing scheme going on that was uncovered. 
and and proven. Yep. So I'm wondering if that just hasn't colored the whole landscape. Like they did it to me before in 2017. They're probably doing it to me right now. The, the, the skepticism is, uh, is deserved, uh, I think, yeah. uh, essentially because Canadians, in my view, feel unprotected. Uh, so we've had this this uh, bread price fixing scheme going on for 14 years. Uh, Loblaw disclosed to the Bureau, a, a federal agency, receive immunity as a result. Nobody went to prison. Nobody got fined. And then two years later, we learned that there was uh, there was a, uh, a scheme, uh, a cartel-esque sort of program. And uh, nobody got punished, and the and the investigation is still ongoing, almost eight years after they disclosed. So, the skepticism is, is absolutely deserved because we do have a system that doesn't necessarily protect consumers all that well. I guess the other side for me, though, is some of the variables would seem obvious. Like we've all complained at the gas pump, you know, out in Vancouver, yes. for example, you went to two forty two a liter. We we were chronicling fertilizer cost increases here, you know, because of uh, the sanctions on Russia and because of the high natural gas prices, because we had shut down natural gas production. So, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought there was some very obvious factors that were contributing. And we can start with something everyone understands is the foods transported, you know, yep. to the grocery store. Well, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt that transportation costs went way up. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that, I mean, we are looking at a global phenomena, and I think it needs to be underscored that it is a global phenomena. When you look at Canada's current food inflation rate compared to other G7 countries, we're number three. We have the third lowest after Japan and the U.S. at 10.4%. And if you look at the gap between inflation and food inflation we're at 4.5 percent which is about average okay mm -hmm. so we're doing okay in the grand scheme of things and what's what has pushed prices higher globally supply chains uh and that is linked to higher energy costs labor issues affecting the entire system ukraine made input costs higher and of course, climate change. Look at what's going on in uh, in Europe, in the UK. There are shortages, major shortages of produce. That's due to energy costs and climate change uh, down south, where there's there were droughts last fall. We got hit ourselves with lettuce. We couldn't actually get leafy greens from California, if you remember. But we were able to actually buy ourselves out of our problem by buying lettuce out of Mexico, Arizona, and, and Europe. So we're a rich country. We're not going to run out of food, but uh, things are getting really complicated with climate change. And, and it comes at a cost. We are paying more for, for weather patterns. Well, and your other point is so well taken. I mean, it just exposes the oversimplicity of saying it must be our grocer or local grocery store or grocery yeah. change, because how does that happen in Europe? If you know what I mean? Like, you really That's think right. a Canadian well, grocery chain, you know, and having the third lowest prices, yeah. I think that'll shock a lot of people when you look at, you know, food inflation. I think it's the, the reason why Galen Weston has become one of the most hated Canadians out there. I, I think it's by design. I mean, first of all, there's not one other nation's uh, nation in the world where you actually see the CEO on television every night selling you stuff, okay? And so he's the persona, and he's not he's not the ambassador for one company. He's the ambassador for the entire industry. So mm -hmm. he became a target, an easy target. People can relate to grocery stores, and they can relate to a face. 
Uh, I bet you most people don't even know who the CEO of Empire is and who the CEO of Metro is. I, mm -hmm. I know who they are. I've met them. But most Canadians don't care or don't know. And they'll be testifying next week. But the target next week is absolutely going to be Galen Weston, the guy dressed in yellow on TV every night. Yeah, well, I'm and yellow of... is just the worst color, you know. When you're, <laughs> when you're in this situation of inflation and trying to convey to the public you have great products and you're dressed in yellow while people are suffering with higher prices, it's just not the greatest color <laughs> to go with. As you're saying, though, I mean they're dealing with higher wage costs now. You know, interest rates are up if they're borrowing. You know, I mean, uh, property taxes are up, uh, you yeah. know, in different areas. I mean, I guess my whole point, though, is let's get a little more sophistication than suggesting it was, you know, simply greed. And I'll, I'll give you one example that uh, AgriFood Analytics and Dalhousie brought to my attention, and it's one that made perfect sense. You get supply chain problems, you know, slower arriving in my store. And you get that thing uh, called shelfflation. And I want you to explain that a little bit. Yeah. That was a factor that I wasn't including in any analysis I was doing. Yeah. So there's uh, a lot of people talked about shrinkflation, you know, shrinking packages, uh, charging the same price. That really upset a lot of people. But shelfflation is hidden. And uh, with less, uh, with fewer people around, with supply chains running more slowly, the shelf life of a lot of products is compromised as a result of a, of a lengthier, I guess, period to transport anything. And so what has happened over the last uh, several months or several last couple of years is that we've seen more products uh, reaching the market, but the shelf life it has as as lessened it's much shorter so you'll end up buying products at the at the store and you have to throw it away prematurely at home and and that ends up costing you money which is why and, and of course it's costing you money as a consumer but it's also costing money to grocers and somebody somebody someone actually has to cover the cost of waste up the food chain as well and, and I, I think I, I wonder if not everyone listening today hasn't experienced that. You know, I, I immediately oh. some things come to mind where, as you say, didn't we just buy this yesterday and we're throwing it yeah. out or there's mold appearing? It's like dairy, for example. Mm. Sometimes people, I know for a fact that a lot of people have had to thrown out dairy products, fluid milk or whatever, even before the best before date, just yeah. because there was a there was a breach in the cold chain. Uh, something broke because uh, cold chains are expensive to run and a lot of things can happen, especially with uh, with global supply chains not working well. Let's say that you're running a truck and you need a part to repair your truck, but you're you need money. You need to you need to drive. And so you'll take a chance just taking on cargo uh, without a functioning truck to get it to destination because people need to eat so that that pressure is really forcing this supply chain to to work overtime under uh, under some extreme conditions. Now, when you look out to 2023, the rest of 2023, and maybe a little further, are you seeing any signs of real relief on the food side? Uh, you know, I think some of the yep. pressures have eased in terms of, at least at this point, diesel and gasoline prices, although I'm not confident they stay down. But I'm just saying that at least there's, that's an easy one where you say there's been some relief there. But do you see uh, price pressures reducing so we can maybe settle down these uh, these prices? Because so far we haven't had any progress, actually, you know, when you look no. at the inflation rates. 
No, and uh, we we predicted it. Uh, so in December, when we introduced Canada's food price report, our 13th edition, we did say to Canadians, we're not out of the woods yet. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be we're looking at a very very difficult winter, and that's what we're getting right now, uh, just because of of pressures up the food chain. You talk to ingredient companies, they're having a hard time getting ingredients, they have to pay more. That pressure is flowing through the supply chain and that's still taking a while. My guess is that we're gonna, things are gonna calm down probably end of spring, early summer. So the five to 7% we're predicting this year, most of it will happen um, in the earlier part of 2023. The worst were, we're actually experiencing it right now. Like, uh, well, February was probably the worst month. We're going to get some numbers later, but I think February was the worst month. And then things will actually calm down probably May, June, and it'll get easier in the fall. Uh, and I'm just looking again, when we look at uh, how we can fix any of this, you, you said one thing there that we don't have the level of competition you have in the States. Of course, they've got a population so much larger than ours. And uh, maybe yeah. that helps that to be, you know, to support more, more competition. But what well, do you see we, in, this, in this country? Well, we don't have it. We don't have a discount grocer in Canada, like a yeah. true standalone discount grocer, like Aldi and Little. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I hope next week, you know, parliamentarians will actually ask why, why as Aldi and Little, thought about Canada for 20 years, but they've never entered the market. The reality is simply this. Canada is an un- unattractive market to invest in. It's We're a large country, 38 million people. Distribution costs are very high. But the other thing that nobody's talking about are interprovincial barriers. If you start doing business in BC, for example, and you want to expand eastward, you got to deal with new regulations in Alberta, in Saskatchewan, in in Ontario and Quebec and so on and so forth. We don't have one Canada. We have Canada's. Mm-hmm. So look at Target. In 2014, Target basically came into the market, bought Zellers, and left the country in nine months because they underestimated the cost to do business in Canada. If you want to make the grocery business more competitive, I certainly would look at the cost to do business in Canada. That would help. That, that's a terrific point. And we've had economists over the years point out the cost of interprovincial trade barriers. Oh, it's kind of a gimme. Yeah. And yet it would cost us as consumers nothing to remove them. Do you know what I mean? It's not like something that we need a government uh, finances to do it. Get rid of the damn regulations. <laughs> Walmart succeeded with its expansion into Canada because it, it, it adopted a, an incremental approach. They started with 20 stores and then 30, 40, 50. And now Walmart is one of the largest grocers we have in the country. Target went in all in 125 mm-hmm. stores. That was their mistake. They shouldn't have done that because they realized too late that Canada is complicated, super complicated compared to the U.S. And again, and this is the thing that I, I, I'm interested is when you testified in December, what did you find the listening was like? Were they hearing you, you know, on topics like this? Uh, well, it was kind of weird because uh, it was the first session of the investigation. And I was in with uh, with Loblaw and Empire. And Michael, uh, as you may guess, I wasn't a target. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yes. 
and they were asking questions about about uh, about greedflation and prices to them. They were using me to validate some of the questions. What I found really strange is that they were asking an academic to validate answers in real time in front of an audience, which it was a bit surreal. I've testified, I think, about 15 times now in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't, I, I'm no spring chicken. I've been there before. But that session... I saw a committee that was not prepared, was not asking the right questions, and I'm hoping that next week with CEOs, they'll be asking the right questions, and they'll be listening as well. And I hope the Canadian public is also listening to points like you're making on that score. We're not a good place to do business. Interprovincial trade barriers, things that have been mentioned, researched, you know, uh, in the academic or the economic community, and yet no progress made, in sp- despite it lip service. And this is where we're feeling it directly, you know, exactly. when it comes to things like food prices. That impacts the most vulnerable the most, as all of these mistakes are. You know, who gets hurt the most? It's always at the lower end of the uh, financial realm. And uh, yeah, it's just an incredibly important subject. Uh, And it's just one I want to congratulate you and your team there, because uh, very few people are doing such first class work on the most, you know, as I say, the key component of our cost of living right now is food costs. So agri-food analytics at Dalhousie, great job. And Sylvain, I know you've got other things on today, so I really appreciate you finding time for us. Well, thank you, Michael, for the invitation and all the best. Like I said, things will get better. Not yet, though. (laughs) Okay, well, I hope we can visit again in the near future with a lot of good news. Thank you. All right. Take care.